0: Philippians chapter 1. For those who have not been with us, we are going through the letter here from the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi, and this letter was written again to them, but for us. And he's writing this from prison, from jail, or house arrest, as some of you may have studied and seen what was going on there. But he's writing from prison to the church of Philippi, and that's actually not foreign to them because this church was really founded by Paul and so was being in prison. And so there's a lot of prison going on when it comes to the Apostle Paul and when it comes to Christians. If you read your Bible carefully, and especially the New Testament, you will find that it is normal for Christians to be persecuted and it is normal for Christians to be put in prison. Hopefully it's for the Gospel and not because we're doing things wrongly. But Paul writing this letter about 10 years after he had started the church. And he's with Timothy. And and he writes them. And right from the get-go, he thanks God for them. He thanks God for this church because of their partnership, which we talked about the word would be fellowship, but it means more than just kind of hanging out. It's It's a commitment to one another. And so Paul thanks God for their commitment, their partnership, their fellowship in the Gospel from the first day they became Christians all the way until now. It is normal for Christians to partner in the gospel. It is normal even for new Christians in the New Testament to, like, for example, give money so that the gospel would go forth. To be a Christian really is to be kingdom-minded. To think, how can we further God's kingdom on this earth? How can we evangelize more? How can we send more missionaries? How can we send more Bibles? How can we translate Bibles into the languages of the peoples? This is normal Christianity. after he gives thanks to God for the church of Philippi, he prays for them. And he prays that their love would grow more and more, more and more for one another, and more and more for God, and more for the lost. He prays that that love would come with knowledge and all discernment. There are many people out there who say that they are very loving. And you'll often hear people say that God is love. Is that true? Is God love? (coughs) Yes. Is God only love? (coughs) No, He is holy and just and many other things. There are many people out there who try to love others, but it's not with true knowledge and discernment. It's not in line with what God's Word says what love is. The Apostle Paul is confident for the church at Philippi. Because he has seen them grow, he's seen them suffer for the sake of the Gospel, he's confident. That Jesus, who began this good work in them, in justification, will see it all the way through to glorification. Jesus will do that. And Paul is thankful because he sees the evidence, the fruit of righteousness, the fruit in their lives. They're actually really Christians. Churches today are peppered throughout with people who think that they're Christians, but they're really not the Apostle Paul says, I'm so thankful when I look at you because I see the fruit of righteousness, the the fruit, the work of the Holy Spirit of God. You are a new creation and I can see that. And so Paul says, He who began will see it unto completion. But there were apparently some of the church who were were struggling a little bit because they were worried that the Gospel was going to stop going forth for some reason. Well, well, Paul's in prison, so this, this is actually really, really bad. And so Paul reassures them that what's happened to him has really actually served to advance the Gospel. By Paul being in prison, by the way Paul suffers, by his testimony, by the things that he says, by the things that he does, the, the type of prisoner that he is, it actually advances the Gospel so that everybody knew that the reason Paul was in prison was for Christ. We talked about if people looked at your life, if they looked at the way you suffer, the way you go through trials, the way you go through hardships, would they would they see Christ? Would they see that you suffered well and point them to Christ? Or would they not? There were even some who were going around and they were actually preaching the true Gospel, but they were doing it for the wrong reasons. And they were actually trying to get Paul in more trouble, make it more difficult on Paul. And Paul said, you know what? I don't even care. They can preach the Gospel and if they're doing it for bad motives or good motives, he says, I don't even care because Christ is proclaimed. As long as He's proclaimed, then I rejoice. And that's where we ended our time last time with Paul rejoicing that the Gospel is being preached no matter what. And so he continues on with his letter. Follow along with me beginning in... 18, the second half of verse 18 of chapter 1. Yes, and I will rejoice, the Apostle Paul says. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. But that with full courage now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. So that in me, you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or in absent. I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit and one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28, And not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you, That for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. The Apostle Paul says he's rejoicing. Back up to verse 19. He says, I know, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. He could mean just being delivered from prison. He's in prison again and under trial. And he could mean that, but it seems that he means more than that. That his deliverance, his salvation, he knows that whichever way this thing goes, he's ultimately going to be delivered. Whether he's put to death or he's let go, does not matter. Ultimately, he will be delivered over to Christ Himself. But it may mean that Paul had some insight, some understanding from God that he was going to be released here. But notice what he says here. It's through the the, the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, but it also is through their what? What's the word? Prayers. Their prayers. Do you pray? Like it matters? Like, do you are you the type of person that prays like it really does matter? Like, do you believe in prayer? That, that when we pray in a strange mystery, the hand of God moves. Many times we see that we, 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 we have not, because the Scriptures tell us we ask not. And, and, and sometimes it seems like a formality when we pray. Well, we're supposed to pray, especially if somebody's sick or something's going on. But do you labor in prayer on behalf of others? On behalf of the lost. On behalf of these little ones that they would come to faith. On those who are sick. Do you pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ? We have the prayer of days that go out throughout the week. Do you pray like it really matters? That God will respond? And So Paul, in an amazing statement here, says it's both. It's the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus Christ working, and the means that God chooses to use is the prayers of the saints of Philip. Some of the great work that God is doing in this church and in some of you are a direct result of prayers of many of you in here. In fact, I've seen this said a few times that there are some of you, even this morning, you are sitting in these pews because other people around you have been praying for you. They have been laboring for you. On your behalf, in tears, asking for favor from God in your life that you would respond. And Paul knows that because of the work of Jesus, because of the prayers of the church of Philippi, he will be delivered ultimately for salvation. But he seems to have some idea that it looks like he's going to be released from prison as well. But he doesn't doesn't state it as a fact God can still do whatever God's going to do. Because he says in verse 20, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or my death. So there's kind of that idea. Of, is, he, is he just talking about getting out of prison there? Or does he mean overall, no matter what? And he says, I'm not going to be put to shame. Because he's put his hope in Christ. This idea of shame comes up in Paul's writing multiple times. In some of his other letters. It's kind of when you think about to the church of Corinth when he's writing, and he talks about The resurrection. And what he says is actually, if the resurrection isn't a real thing, then we as Christians should be pitied among all people the most. Why does he say that? Well, ultimately, it it means that you should be living your life in such a way, sacrificing for the kingdom in such a way, that it's like you're wasting your life if there's no resurrection. If Christianity is not real, then you should be wasting your life, basically. Or you are wasting your life. That's what he's saying. But then, of course, he says, but the resurrection is real. But if it's not real, then we should be pitied most. Do you live your life that way? Like, if if Christianity's not real, does it really matter? Does it look that different for you? Are you living for the kingdom in such a way that it's like, man, that person is really putting all, all their money in that pot? All their bets, if you will, are going toward that Jesus is real. Or are you kind of of on the fence? Yeah, I'm following Jesus, but I'm also kind of doing other things as well. Are you all in for Jesus? Paul's like, man, I'm all in. I will not be ashamed because Christ is real. On that day, you know, Paul's in prison right now. That's kind of a shameful thing. He's been in prison multiple times. He gets beaten, all kinds of things happen. That seems shameful unless being beaten and put in prison for the truth. And what Paul's saying is, guess what? There's a day coming. There's a day coming where it's going to be revealed that I suffered for the right thing. All those people who were beating me, they were scolding me, they put me in prison, all these things. He goes, there's a day coming for them where they're going to find out that it's Christ and Christ alone that we're saved. It's Christ who is King, and they will bow the knee And on that day, I will not be ashamed. So, I'm not going to be ashamed now. As always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. What do you use your life for, beloved? Is Christ central to you? He goes on with what he says. Whether by life or death, verse 21, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's such a great bumper sticker. Yeah. Such a great thing to put on a coffee cup. Maybe get a tattoo yeah. if you're into that. Are yeah. following that? I spent all week just trying to think on what does it mean for me to live is Christ. I mean, we get to die is gain, part. What he means is, of course, there is that you get to go be with Jesus. That should be better than everything else. And there is a side that we need to ask ourselves that question. If you really had the choice, leave this life now and go be with Jesus, what would you choose? Do you love this world so much that you don't want to leave to go be with Jesus? Do you love it here so much? Do you think so little of Jesus? That you just want to enjoy the blessings he's given you, and not him himself. The apostle Paul, he says in twenty-two. Right he says, "For me to live is Christ to die." Is gain. if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Now don't don't get for a second you're like Paul. It gets to decide whether or not he's going to die or not. That's not what that means. It's one of the two things. It's either like just kind of hypothetical. He's just like, ah, which one would I choose? If right now I get the choice to go or stay, which one? Oh, I'm hard-pressed. And or, he's meaning, what was he praying for? He's in prison. Is he praying, God, take me now? Or should I be praying, God, leave me because there's fruitful work for me to do? I'm hard-pressed, verse 23, between the two. My desire to depart and be with Christ. That is far better. That's my true desire, Paul says. But, verse 24, to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account, the church of Philippi. I really want to go be with Jesus, but I need to stay around here for you guys, he says. Convinced of this, 25, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith. He said, I know that the Lord is going to keep me here because... It's not time for me to go, because you need me, Paul says. But as you go back, think about that. The, the living, for me to live, back 21, for to me to live is Christ. What he, he says about that, what he explains in those following verses is fruitful labor. So that's what you have to ask If you right now are like, oh man, for me to live is Christ. What do you mean? Do you mean what Paul means? Do you need fruitful labor? How about let's put it this way. If you die right now, does it make a difference in people's lives? Spiritual. Yeah, if your family bullshit you and, and, and that sort of thing. I'm talking about spiritual. I'm talking about kingdom-wise. Are you like following Jesus in such a way? Is is everything so centered, the gospel centered, that everything you're thinking, everything that you're doing, your whole life revolves around Jesus so much that if you died right now, man, the impact would be huge, spiritually speaking. The way you're serving others. Discipling, who are you pouring into, right? Paul's like, I've got to stay around because you guys need to keep growing. I need to help you. Who are you discipling, friends? Does it make a difference at all if you die right now other than people miss you? Does it make a difference in the church? Do you serve at all in the church? In any way, or literally, if you you died, we just wouldn't even know. Wouldn't affect us at all. Would that be true? Well, of course not. Hopefully we have a body of Christ here where we love one another and notice one another and pour out our gifts for one another. The gifts that God's given us to build up the church. But as you chew on, what does it mean to live as Christ? And would you say that's really true of your life? And I mean, you know what? For many of you, I think for many of you, you are living for Christ. You're doing your best to try to follow Him faithfully. And some of you, I think, are on the fence on that. You're like, I want that, but, but sometimes I don't. And I think that's a normal battle. But what are you committed to? For Paul, he is committed to living for Christ. fruitful labor. So he says, I need to stick around for you guys so that I can continue along with you for your progress and joy in the faith. That's again what we should be doing. Coming alongside one another to help each other progress in the faith. So that, verse 26, in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Paul says, I've got to stick around and I'm going to come visit you again. And when I do, you are going to rejoice and give God the glory because I've come back to spend time with you. And there again is this great love that they have for one another. He says, so I'm certain that I'm coming back to you, but here's what you need to do in the meantime. Verse 27, only let your manner of life be worthy of the Gospel of Christ. Live in such a way that matches... The Gospel. Live in such a way as people, as they, as, they, as, they, as they learn about Jesus, as they see what Jesus has done, and then they look at your life, they don't go, wait a minute, that doesn't match up at all. That doesn't match up. Don't live that way. Live in such a way that they're like, you know what? You're one of those little Jesus followers, aren't you? <laughs> Do you know the term Christian? It wasn't originally used as like a good thing. That term is really more of a, of a, you little, little Jesus followers, Little Jesuses, I'm going to look at you would be like Jesus. Well, yeah, little Christ's. When people see that in us, so Paul says, "Hey, I'm going to come to you. I know I, I'd rather go be with with God. I'd rather be with Jesus, but I'm supposed to come to you to help you along. So until I come, live your lives in a manner worthy of the gospel. So whether I'm there or I'm far away from you." I can hear that you're standing firm. Now look what this means to live as a follower of Jesus. Look at these things in verse 27. You're to stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. Do you see the unity that he's talking about here? He says, church, what it means to really follow is that you are going to be side by side, one spirit, one mind, one mission. We're moving forward together. The Apostle Paul says that this is what it means to live a life worthy of the gospel. Because it's the glorious gospel that actually unites us together. Different tribes, tongues, nations. Different socioeconomical groups. Different classes. Doesn't matter. The gospel unites. And because the gospel unites, we should live in such a way that we are side by side, striving after the main goal together. And then what happens? Is that supernatural unity? Here's what happens. Verse 28. We wouldn't be frightened in anything by our opponents. This is a clear sign to them. Those who oppose Christianity, when they see the church, when they see the church is unified, we're loving one another, we're trying to accomplish the same gospel, the same mission. When they see that, here's what it is. It's a sign to them of their destruction. The enemies of God, when they see that unity, whatever this means exactly, it's a sign to them You will will be destroyed. You are going against God because God is working in an incredible way among His church. Look at the unity. It's a sign to them for their destruction, but to you Christians, it's a sign for your salvation. Isn't that remarkable? The unity of the church, the unity of the gospel, the fact that Jesus dies for all peoples, tribes, tongues, nations, doesn't matter, and He brings us together is a sign to them for their destruction and is a sign of salvation for us. How do you know if a church is spirit-filled? How do you know if a church is spirit-filled? Some would say, well, they have to have their hands raised during worship. Some would say they have to be maybe perhaps speaking in tongues or having some other spiritual gifts happening. Some would say, if you have young, young families, then you have the Holy Spirit there. Some would say, now if you have older people, you have the Holy Spirit. Some would say, if you have a bunch of different people from different ethnic backgrounds. That's really a church that has the Spirit. It's unity. It's love. In unity, true unity, is how you know that a church has the Spirit of God. Because that is hard. To be loving and unified and not divided all the time, that's really hard. Especially when we come from different backgrounds, different perspectives, to be unified like that, that's a sign that the Spirit of God is among you. And that you are saved. Let me end with this. Notice he says it's again, it's a sign for their destruction, but it's a sign of your salvation, and that is from God. Watch this. Let, this. let this verse blow your socks off for a second. For it has been granted to you. Who does the granting? God does the granting. Look what, look what you've been granted, believer. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, now that is really actually something in the Bible when we say Christ's sake, many people say it in the wrong context. For the glory of Christ, for the name of Christ, you, believer, it has been granted to you by God for Christ's sake that you should not only believe in Him, but you should also suffer for His sake. Who does the granting? God. What are the two things you get granted by God, He, grant, he grants you belief and suffering. And those two things work together for Christ's sake. That is from God. And so as he ends, he says, It has been granted to you, Church of Philippi in particular, to go through persecution, engage in the same conflict that you saw I had, Paul says, and now you hear that I still have. Believer, you should be excited today. God has granted you belief, and you get to suffer for his name. You don't look as happy about the second. One. I'm just being honest. I'm kind of reading the room, and when I'm saying like, "You're granted belief," you're like, "Amen, thank you, Jesus." And then suffer for His name. The way you know Christ is in His emotions. and He perseveres you. God uses that to make you look more like to strengthen your faith. And as your faith grows, you become more and more unified. And as that happens, then you can finally say, for me to live is Christ. But man, to die would be gain. But guess what? You're still here. And if you have healed over during my sermon yet, you've got fruitful work to do. Don't waste it waste We're still here, and we have fruitful neighborhood. Let's keep going. Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy and your love. We are thankful, Lord, that you have granted to us, since come from you that we would believe and suffer. But it's also come from Christ through His prayer, His high priest of prayer, that we as Christians, we as a church, would be unified. And that this would be a testimony to the world of our salvation and even of their destruction. Because for us to be unified around the gospel is supernatural. And it means Jesus really has come from God. So Lord, help us to understand these things deeper. Lord, help us to love deeper. Help us to be unified. Help us to share this message. Help us to be a people who really can say, for us to live is Christ. Everything about our lives is centered on the Gospel and the Kingdom. It help us to not love this world so much that we want to hang on to it. That we would really view dying as gain to go and be with Jesus. We thank You for Him in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.